This week, the Hermitage is back, making people nauseous since 2004. And why I took last week off, hint, I went to Halifax for a ghost walk. Now, it's been way too long. The Hermitage Tour is absolutely one of my favorites. I've been doing it since 2004, starting out as the guide. I actually started out as a guide. I didn't do a lot of guiding back in those days. I still hadn't uh, developed the uh, addiction to it. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much, um, going out into the ruins at night. And just, just that alone was amazing. And I remember it took a while for people to get used to us doing the tours at the Hermitage Ruins. I have a quick story, but if you're not sure what I'm talking about, uh, look it up. This is Hermitage, uh, H-E-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. The ruins are the ruins of an 1850s mansion in the middle of the Dundas Valley. So this is Ancaster. It's part of Hamilton. And the Dundas Valley is a conservation area. So being in the middle of the Dundas Valley, it's very secluded. There's houses not too, too far away, but you don't see them. You don't hear them. And being out there at night is absolutely amazing. And it's just generations of people who have gone out there to uh, drink a little beer, tell some ghost stories, try and scare each other, and ghostly things have happened to them. It's an energetic, historic space. So when we first started there, I know the neighborhood in Ancaster around it, they weren't really open to the idea of trespassers coming out, even though it was part of their history. And in many of the cases, it was their teenagers. <laughs> Didn't want to say anything like that to them, but it was their kids that were going out there because they would walk. There was no cars parked anywhere, and yet you still have people out there. Of course, they didn't want to admit that, but that's another story. So when we first went out there, I just really wanted to do it so badly. And it was a lot of work getting them to sit down with us and to hear us out. The idea was that, well, if we're out there leading tours, then, you know, we can kind of protect the space. Now, keep in mind, this is before the ruins were fixed up. So there were, there was fears that the ruins could fall down and hurt someone. So it took a lot of... Um, thinking a lot of conversation before it finally worked uh, this wonderful man named bruce duncan he was the first one to take a chance on us and um he's uh, he's now passed unfortunately but amazing man um and he got us in there and because of his decision that respect was kept over the uh over the years so all of over the years uh we would do it there and i remember when we first started out they had some vigilantes in the neighborhood, I remember uh, at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of interest in the ghost walks in general. It took a few years for it to build up. And I would be out there in the parking lot of the ruins by myself, waiting for people to maybe show up. This is before we did prepayments. You just put your name down and, you know, we would go there in case there were any walk-ins. So standing in the parking lot alone at night, waiting to see if somebody comes. And when nobody comes up to the um, start time, at that point, I was like just completely disappointed. And I would go home, you know, head head hanging down, <laughs> kind of like a cartoon. I'd, I'd be so disappointed. I'd, I'd drive away sad and slow. 
but you know it built up over the years it's 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 a decently popular tour now but uh when we first started out it, the vigilantes would drive by and we had i had a lantern lit and they would see the light and they would drive in there was no gate at that time they would just drive in and i remember this one guy in a pickup truck came up beside and he's like what are you doing here and I, I said to him i said oh no no it's okay we're not we're not trespassing uh, we have the area rented out and we do tours we do ghost tours he's like no no you're you're trespassing like you did he didn't believe any of it and I remember I, I was standing there because I was just cleaning up because the tour was going to happen that night. And I was holding a fake uh, skull. <laughs> See, I think about it now from that guy's point of view. And I understand why he was so skeptical. <laughs> Imagine you go into like a dark parking lot at night of a conservation area. And there's just a fellow in there wearing a black cape <laughs> and holding a human skull. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, needless to say, it took a little time for people to get used to it. We 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 left. He left. There was no issues or anything like that. So we finally got to bring it back, and what a night to bring it back! Uh, so it hasn't been done since October of 2020. We were able. To, there was like a time where things were open. We were able to bring it back for one night only, with a limited size group, and we were able to do it. So October 2020 was the last time since the beginning of all the COVID stuff. And this is the first time since then. And it was Friday the 13th, the only one in 2022. And it was the night, I think, two days prior to a full moon. And the weather was stunning. It was a clear sky. So imagine that feeling of being out there on Friday the 13th. And everything is just lit up with this white glow from an almost full moon. Spectacular. I mean, just that start alone really set the mood. So then it was myself, uh, uh, Ghost Guide Jeffrey, and uh, our newest Ghost Guide Aaron. Uh, we were the three guides who took the tour out. I took the first and the last one. They took the two middles. So I had uh, these, the, the view from both points of view. I got to lead the first tour of the night, the first tour in a long time, which is what I wanted to do. And then I also got to have the, it was like a daytime tour where it was nice and sunny, which led into night. And then I had the late one, which was all night. So I got to feel everything while being out there. It was so good. And I know I, like anybody who's a public speaker who's listening to this show, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. Because when you don't do something for a very long time and your goal is to tell stories and entertain, there's some nerves that start out at the beginning, no matter how many years you've been doing this. I've been doing this uh, almost 20 years. And I still get nervous. If, I, if it's a tour that I haven't done in a long time where I had to study the script again and you know it, it, I'm not 100% sure my brain's going to support me that evening, then I'm going to have some nerves going into it. So for the first tour, I was a bit nervous. I had trouble catching my breath. And I don't know if you know what that means. It's just you don't take enough deep breaths so that you're, um, you're kind of like as you're telling the story, you're running out of breath. And then that fear of not having breath causes the nervousness when telling the story. And I think I hide it pretty well. If anybody's listening has been on the tour, hopefully... 
I, I've hid that very well on that very first one there. Uh, but then the second one, I feel more relaxed and I can definitely tell the stories. But with the later tour, you don't really see the faces too clearly of the people in front of you. So you can't really read how they're reacting in those moments. Uh, so unfortunately, there is that disconnect. And unless I shine a spotlight on their faces, which I'm not going to do, then there's really nothing you can do about it. You just tell the stories and hopefully you'll get a sound or two to, to tell that uh, it's actually going well and that they don't hate you. So everything starts out great with the tour. This is the first one of the night. And I never really thought much of it because I was nervous going into it. I wasn't sure I would be able to convey the stories in the same enthusiasm and uh, timing and speed and breath and all that that I normally do. But then I got to that story of the bloodiest sizes. Now this is a great story. Uh, I, I, I love telling it. I, I not only tell on the Hermitage, but I also tell it on the Dark Trolley Tour because we are standing in the shadow of Burlington Heights where the Bloody Assizes happened. And it's told on the Hermitage Tour because we are in Ancaster where the men who were part of this execution were tried. So let me describe the situation. It is bright and sunny, beautiful, birds are singing, not, not the best situation for dark, violent, and ghostly stories, but I digress. So I tell people, visualize you're here at night. Even close your eyes if you have to to make it dark. <laughs> and I started, I tell the history of Ancaster, and I can see the group, they're, they're focused. And I can see that there's these two kids, two brothers. Now, they were a little rambunctious. Um, I'm not sure what age were they. If I say anything, it'd be 10 or 11. And they were a little rambunctious at the beginning, but now they're engrossed in the story, which is great. I'm, I'm always proud when that happens, especially with, with kids. And then I get to the bloody sizes, and I do my warning. Uh, and then I go into the violent part, and I can see the reactions kind of changing. Now, I've never had this happen before, so I wasn't really 100% sure what I was experiencing. I thought maybe it was just too much for them, but it was uh, a little bit different. So... Uh, let me just mention the, the part of the story here for you, and then we'll see if you can understand what kind of reaction it was, which I already gave away in the title, but I'm just going to pretend that I didn't. So I get to the part of the story, so I talk about the bloody sizes, the men, eight of them, sentenced to be drawn and quartered in Ancaster, taken down to Burlington Heights. And if you don't know Burlington Heights, it is where Dundurn Castle is today. And if you go across the street, I'm pretty sure that it was between where the Admiral Inn is today and the Hamilton Cemetery, uh, that general area is where the scaffold was set up. So the men were brought down, and the overall historic thought on this was that they were just hanged. So even though the judge did hand down the census to be fully drawn and quartered, that I guess the executioners, the people there, they, they felt mercy for the men and they just hanged them until dead instead of doing the full execution. However, there is another description. So there was another description of this event that does state that the full execution was carried out. So I don't know if it's a type of thing where somebody wrote a description saying they were just hanged and then the second one was just written to show the king 
and say, no, 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 we did the full thing. Don't worry, Canada's violent. Uh, And the king was like, good, good. I'm glad they did. That could have been the situation. But you got to remember what kind of tour you're on. That's what I always say. You know, there's there's going to be a nice way and a bad way. We're going to go with a bad way. That's just how it is. These tours are dark. Just like the website is dark, you know, theme is black, it's dark. So we don't hold back on that. So we're going to go the drawn and quartered route. So we looked up the traditional um, execution of being drawn and quartered and worked it into the story of the men in the bloody assizes. And that's what the description was. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it right now, just so you know, there's warning, it's going to get gruesome. And that's exactly what I said to the group in front of me. So I talk about the men being rolled up. Um, They would stop directly behind their nooses and a masked executioner would come along and his job was to place the noose around each one of the men and getting to the end of the carriage and going down the stairs to the front. A large crowd would be gathered in front of him. This was entertainment of the day. He would walk up to the horses and pause, maybe just for a dramatic pause for the crowd, and then slap it, it runs off. The carriage is pulled out from underneath the men and they drop. And as they are choking, it's the executioner's job to now time it perfectly. As they're about to pass out, but before they are dead, he has to cut each one of the ropes and let the men land to the ground. Getting to the end, a small table of instruments in front of him As the men are placed on tables to his left, he picks up a long leather glove to place over his left arm. He picks up a long, sharp, curved blade in his right hand. Walking to the first man who's been laid out, his shirt lifted, his stomach exposed, taking the blade and placing it just underneath the rib cage. Maybe another dramatic pause for the crowd before pushing down and slicing to the pelvis. Throwing the blade away, he takes the leathered hand and shoves it inside the man's stomach, trying to grab at whatever he can. And when he has a handful, he rips it out. And the pain of this brings the man to consciousness. The last thing he sees before dying, his insides being held up to a cheering crowd. So that's the gruesome part. There's more to the story. But I'll hold back on that. Now, that was the part when these two boys (laughs) standing in front of me, I could see their expression change, at least one of the boys more than the other. And he took off. He runs out to the front of the gatehouse. His brother runs after him to make sure he's okay. And when I came out around to the front, I actually asked, is everything okay? And they said, oh, he's just, he's feeling kind of nauseous. And that's when, you know, I realized what was going on. I was like, okay, good. He's, he's okay. He didn't throw up or anything. But I realized that the story that I told had made him nauseous. And this was the first time this ever happened to me. And I want to say that I wasn't proud of it, but I kind of was. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, please don't be angry at me. I, anybody who's ever done any public speaking or any type of entertainment, this is the reaction that you want especially if you're doing ghost tours, uh, the two reactions, of course, if you're telling a story that's violent, you're going to get that nauseousness. And if you're telling a story that's scary, you want to get that fear. And we, we don't use the cheap tricks like jump scares. It is all just from the spoken word. So the goal, obviously, in both those situations is either nauseousness or fear. 
and that's what I shot for. And for the first time ever, the nauseousness one worked. Fear I can usually get, but this in this case, the nauseousness worked. So I want to say I'm not proud, but unfortunately I am proud. <laughs> so if you want to take the risk that you're going to get nauseous, then uh, come on out to the Hermitage. The next one is not until July. We want to take advantage of that beautiful summer. Saturday, July 23rd. You can book it at ghostwalks.com. I guess you can say I'm a lazy bones. Last week I didn't do a show. And you might be thinking, oh, he's just lazing out. He's not doing his job. You know, get to work, Daniel. Dance for us. I hope you're not thinking that. But no, the reason I didn't have a show last week, and I didn't want to mention it beforehand, is I went to the Maritimes. Very first time for me. A cool trip. It was fly out of uh, Hamilton, fly to Moncton, New Brunswick. And two nights in Moncton, one night in Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown, and then three nights in Halifax. And I knew Halifax would be the the um, highlight of the tour and I was right and Moncton was nice uh some of the cool stuff there went to Hopewell, Hopewell Rocks is where the uh the tide comes in a lot of walking and I got blisters but it was fun uh and uh, Prince Edward Island I didn't like it that much I know some people love it uh, but not for me uh, Charlottetown was was okay uh, food that we had was was decent but it just it didn't feel like the maritime experience, so I didn't really I didn't really enjoy that so much. But when I got to Halifax, uh, my life has changed. I I loved Halifax so so much, and if you've never been, go. It is a beautiful city. First off, it's a clean city. The people are so nice and and respectful. I I was amazed because you're driving through the city like Halifax, it's not a huge city. I think there's about 400,000, 500,000 people, but it feels like a huge city. It's like you're driving in Toronto, the way they have it set up. And in Toronto, the way people drive is insane. And this, this is just, you want, you want that experience. Like, you know, what kind of people you're dealing with is when, if you're driving speed limit and somebody is like tailing you where the slightest move is going to cause them to crash into you just because they're angry or in a rush or whatever you know that tells you what kind of people you're dealing with and in Halifax everybody is so respectful and nice and yeah I got tailed a couple times but 90% of the people even because I was going slow because I didn't really know my way around that well they stayed back very respectful so I loved it for that I loved it for the history you know next to Quebec City and Montreal this is the oldest, it's the oldest British-founded city in, in all of Canada. So it dates back to the 1700s. They have structures from the 1700s. They have so much amazing history related to Canada and to Britain, because Halifax being the first port coming over into their colony. And, of course, there's the uh, tragic story of the explosion. There's the tragedy of the Titanic sinking. Actually, I went to the graveyard. I saw the grave of Jay Dawson. <laughs> Turns out that his, his name is Joseph Dawson, and it's not any connection to the movie, which I kind of knew going into this. 
but that he was just a guy who shoveled coal uh, on the on the Titanic. So I mean, it's it's amazing that um, people actually came out and respected the grave during the release of the Titanic movie, but not so much. There was a historian that was like, no, 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 no. He, he doesn't exist, and then everybody's like, yeah, whatever, and they just left the grave alone. I was hoping to see flowers on the grave when I went, but there was none. I didn't have any flowers, otherwise I would have left some. So Halifax is amazing, the history is amazing, but I wasn't really too sure what to expect, because everywhere I go, I always do the ghost walk. This is my thing. It's what I love. I will enjoy ghost walks in any major city I go to. And over the years, um, I can say I'm a, I'm a very tough critic when it comes to the tours. And I don't know like if, if, if my tour measures up as a great one in the, in the history of the world. I hope when I lead the tour that people feel that way. But from a point of view of how a tour should be run and what kind of stories and how the stories are told, I am kind of jaded because it, it is what I do for a living. So I've been on many ghost walks over the years, and I'm going to tell you the best ones, Boston and Quebec City. It was a Ghost and Gravestones tour in Boston. The guide's spectacular. The script, very solid. Same with Quebec City through old Quebec. Uh, the guide was amazing, and the script made it easy for him. Uh, not so good in my point of view from a storytelling aspect, uh, Montreal and New Orleans. The scripts were strong, but the guides not so much. And maybe the scripts weren't uh, fully organized. Sometimes you can get too general with the ghost stories, and it's all stuff everybody's heard before. There's nothing unique about it. But the worst one I've ever done, sadly, is Salem. And you would expect Salem to be best because of the history. Maybe I just had a really bad tour guide, but I, I think if she didn't know the script, then the script wasn't that good. And it was mostly making fun of the ghosts which I didn't appreciate. So it didn't really set any mood. Uh, there wasn't a lot of great history, nothing memorable in the way of the ghost stories. So that was the worst one for me. So when I went into Halifax, I wasn't too sure what to expect because I looked up the reviews in advance and on Google, the Halifax Ghost Walk has terrible reviews and I really didn't understand it. So, I mean, you, you see a rating, always look into it, always read the reviews is what I did. And it turns out that the biggest complaint that they had was uh, the stops were awkward and the tour groups were too big. And I think that's just a organization issue. It can be fixed rather simply. And I was hoping at the point that I go that they were to fix that. It hadn't been fixed. But here's the thing. I didn't really give a crap. You know what? Who cares that the tour was a little too big? Because the guide was great. He was able to project his voice. His name is Dusty. I assume he's not the guy who started the ghost walks, but he's only, I believe he's the only guy doing them right now, if I'm not mistaken. And he has, you know, decades of experience doing it, and that shows. So he was able to project. There were times that I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. And it didn't matter. You don't have to see the guy to, to understand what he's talking about. And he was able to project... But as well, he was an amazing storyteller. Just over-the-top great. And it wasn't so much just the words. I mean, the way he told the stories, perfectly organized, uh, perfectly contained, and it went from one fact to the next in a very fluid motion. 
it mixed in the history and the ghosts in a perfect manner. Like these are the things that makes a great ghost story. And he did it wonderfully. But he did another aspect of it that I actually don't do. And I'm, I'm going to try and change that moving forward because he's a performer and I, I'm not a, an actor. I'm not a performer in any way. Uh, and he was able to do that. Some of my guides are able to do it better than me working in the physical aspect. This is something that I've always had an issue with, but Dusty did it to perfection. Now I'm going to tell you what I mean. So like he would, the way he moved around, the way he drew you into the story, like he would come close to you and come back in the, in the correct times. And there were certain times where we're standing on like a boardwalk that he's able to do a jump scare. And normally I'm not into that, but it actually set the mood perfectly. It wasn't just a cheap jump scare. It was a useful jump scare. So he was able to do all that. And then when he was telling the stories, he actually became the characters in the stories so perfectly. Uh, for example, he was talking about a woman who found her uh, true love uh, who had hung himself and discovering the body. I mean, he made himself the man hanging in the same aspect. He just flowed into being the woman looking up into the guy in shock. And so you're adding that physical element that you're creating the visuals for the story. I mean, it's not much different than being in a movie theater. And he created that just with his voice. So, I mean, you put all those aspects together and not to mention the history and the ghost stories of the town. It was perfect. So he's a star. So if you if you go to Halifax, I highly, highly recommend that you see this ghost walk and, you know, make, try and time it when Dusty's the guide if he's not the only one. But my brain always has to do these things to me. <laughs> there are things that could be improved. And this is just, I, uh, you know, my suggestion, if by chance this ever gets back to him, just my own personal suggestion of what I think could improve it. And it's exactly what I already knew, what people on Google already said. And it's the crowd and the stops. That's the biggest thing. Uh, my group was about 35, 36 people, which in a place like the Hermitage being open and no traffic noise would be fine. However, in a place like Halifax, where you um, have limited space around you because we're stopping at street corners, or you have traffic noise, which that evening being on the long weekend, there was a lot of traffic noise, it's difficult. And I could still hear him, but you have to really push yourself in to get a good spot to be able to experience it fully. So I would cut down the crowds. I would try and find more feasible quiet spots even though it wouldn't be easy because you're in the main area of Halifax and the one only other thing I would say is that the ghost experiences didn't have a lot of meat on them there was a couple there was like three or four that were spectacular that the history kind of supported the ghost story and a couple that the visuals freak you out so much that you remember it but then there was others where it was just the uh, they heard voices from the walls and, or they heard footsteps above their head, you know, just the, the standard stuff didn't have a lot of meat on it. Didn't really, didn't really, you know, hold the attention. It was stuff you've heard many times before. So that would, that'd be my only suggestions for improvements has nothing to do with Dusty's performance. And again, super highly recommend that tour.
Now, before I take off, I'll just give you a couple of memorable stories from the from the tour itself that stuck with me. And this first one's kind of a strange one. Maybe you'll find it strange as well. But I don't know if you know the CNIB. This is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And he mentioned this, and it actually makes complete sense. So the CNIB supposedly started, at least partly started, because of the Halifax explosion. And you might be thinking, okay, how does that fit together? Well, think of it this way. When the the explosion goes off, people immediately have the habit of running towards their windows if they're inside their house. So many of the residents that were near the explosion, they run towards their windows of their house to look out because they're like, what's going on? And as they're looking out, the explosion happens. And the reverberation of this, I consider it as the largest man-made explosion in the entire world next to the atomic bomb. So when this boat filled with explosives and ammunition, gunpowder and all that goes off, people run to their windows, they're looking at it, and the reverberation for that hits the glass, and the glass of the window explodes, and shards of the glass goes into their eyes. So they said a large amount of people, sadly, were blinded by exploding windows during that that terrible time in our history. So the CNIB, this organization was needed because of all these newly blind people who existed in the the city of Halifax. It's a very interesting connection there, and it's uh, a great organization that found their start in a tragic time, but there was a need for it. So I found that interesting. And the one, the other story that stuck with me is from the infamous Five Fishermen restaurant. If you don't know it, look it up. This was featured in Creepy Canada. It's been featured, I believe, in other ghost shows as well. So it's this very haunted restaurant, has some darker stuff in its history, including being a funeral home. It was a funeral home during the time of the Titanic sinking. So many of the bodies from the Titanic were brought to that building. So it has an interesting energy to it. And there was just this experience. It's very simple of a worker cleaning up at night. And there's a mirror behind the bar. And as they're cleaning up, they look into the mirror and there's a man standing behind them with dark eyes. Now they think nothing of it. You have any paranormal experience. It's normal. You don't think it's paranormal. And he turns around to say, you know, I'm sorry, sir, but we're closed. And there's nobody standing behind him. Now that's not the scary part. And Dusty tells us perfectly, it's the continuation of it. As this guy is going around the room cleaning up, the image remains. So they said it was like one of those paintings where the eyes follows you. So this ghost was just frozen in the spot with his dark eyes staring at this poor worker cleaning up. As he goes around the room, it's just following him around the room and then finally disappears Uh, There's also the experience of a waitress being slapped by an invisible figure that they say it's this man. Now, they don't know who he is in history. They just can simply call him the bully, which is, I think, is a good name for him. But it stuck with me, just that that experience of seeing the eyes moving and the figure being in the mirror only. I don't know how true it is, but I mean, it stuck with me. It's, It's very creepy. So just a couple of memorable things. I don't want to give too much away. Because, I mean, you got to experience this tour. So if you ever go to Halifax, just make sure you do it. I believe they go every Friday and Saturday, so try and time it correctly. But I highly recommend.
All right, that's it, everyone. I am very happy to be back, and I look forward to talking to you next week.